the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and live big time articles than The Athletic. Download that app, personalize it with your favorite leagues and teams across many, many sports, and get an ad free exclusive content. Get started today at theathletic.com slash SpotTrack, S-P-O-T-R-A-C. Get 40% off that first year subscription. My name is Mike Janay. Happy Sunday night. Divisions figured out. Playoffs positions are, for the most part, locked in. I am recording this before whatever happens in the Chargers-Raiders games. I'm assuming that gets played out in its normalcy, maybe with some backups because it's... uh, well, it's interesting. I'm not going to go down that rant. You know where I stand on that if you follow me on Twitter. I uh, I just don't think the NFL did itself justice here. That's it. These games should be lined up at 4 p.m. Eastern. Everything should go at the same time. And you can say that's tougher to watch. You're right. And you can say that's worse for ratings and money. You're right. <laughs> and pretty much every other league in, in, the, in America and internationally has figured this out, that you have to do that, especially now that you're tied to gambling, especially because you just can't have one game directly impacting another game that has yet to happen when there's bets, when there's over-unders, when there's plenty of things at stake here, and you can kind of foreshadow forward and, and, and scoreboard watch like many of us do as fans. It's just not the way it should, ha- it should work anymore. They put themselves in this position with the flex schedule. Shouldn't be this way. We should already know all of the results all at one time, but we do know for the most part what we know. Packers, Bucks, Cowboys, Rams, Cardinals, 49ers, Eagles, and the NFC. And uh, not a lot of surprises there, honestly. The Eagles sneaking in is a bit of a surprise, but that's a dynamic team. That really is. And they can run the ball. They can stop the run. There's a lot of good things happening there. The AFC is a little bit more interesting. The Tennessee Titans, without Derrick Henry, hold down the fort, win the AFC. That's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Okay, the Packers and Bucks being at the top of the uh, NFC should surprise nobody. And, you know, the Cardinals and Rams slipping a little bit. That's a bit that's going to happen because that's a loaded top five right there. But AFC wise, the Bills get it done. The Patriots slip. They're in tough shape and maybe a little bit more injured after today. Um, The only thing that matters from a scheduling standpoint is Chargers win. Chargers play the Bills in Buffalo. Chargers lose. Bills Patriots 3.0, which is fun. That's good stuff right there. So something to keep an eye on with the Sunday night game. If you're listening to this a little bit early or you just, or you already know the score. All right. Plenty of incentives thrown around. And uh, I'm trying to collect these into the, the easiest, most readable way. And I will do a little piece post Sunday night football when we have snap counts and things that help me get some playing time incentives built in. Because there's a couple of players that are really teetering on that edge right now, and I want to make sure I have that right. But I, I put a couple of lists out. Obviously, the big one is Gronkowski. Uh, he's not the biggest, but he's a big one. And the reason it's going to be a story is <laughs> Tom Brady was supposed to come out of that game after it was in hand. And you see him. There are memes. There are gifts, There are clips of him basically going to Bruce Arians and saying, nope, I got to get this done. Goes back out for one more one more series, gets Gronk his seventh catch of the day, which locks in an extra half a mil. Gronk gets a million dollars today because of seven catches 
and 85 plus yards. So I want to explain, I'm going to use him as an example. There's plenty more. You've seen him on Twitter from, by now. And uh, like I said, I'll do a quick piece. Um, I want to explain this real quick. He makes a million dollars. He's going to get that money cash in hand. Uh, probably won't see it. I'm probably goes right to some sort of investment. A lot of these guys uh, make charitable donations with their incentives. That's not for me to dictate. What, what we have here is a cash payment that was not likely to be earned. And when that happens, it doesn't hit the cap this year. There's no adjustment this year. It works for next year. All right. It becomes next year's adjustment. And so Tampa Bay will be negative 1 million because of the cash paid out this year to Gronkowski. So how do we keep that from happening? I want to use one more example, and it's the crazy one with Aaron Rodgers. Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers have similar stipulations, qualifiers, I like to call it. So when they, when they both restructured this year, for very different reasons, by the way, um, I'll use Brady. Brady had a list of playoff incentives. He had a list of top five passing incentives, uh, of which I believe he's going to hit three of those. No, two of those. Rodgers is going to hit three, I think. Brady's going to hit two. And uh, the reason that Brady's passing stats, which were phenomenal last year, again, phenomenal this year, or the reason that those incentives do not hit the cap this year is because they added a qualifier that made them not likely to be earned. That qualifier is the Bucks rushing, rush per attempt statistic as a team had to be better than 26th in the league. That's what they were last year. So saying that it had to be better than 26th in the league makes it not likely that they will be because of what last year's number was. So just adding that little stipulation means that the rest of Brady's incentives from a passing perspective are not likely to be earned. It means they don't hit the cap in 2021. Wow, he's going to make $1.2 million from that. That will get adjusted to Tampa Bay next year. But again, not likely this year. Has nothing to do with the 2021 cap at all. Cash paid to Brady. It gets adjusted for cap purposes next year. That's how this stuff works. Rodgers was crazier. All right. Rodgers was tied to defensive touchdowns, returns, and recoveries. And there is some language, and I've asked around a little bit. There's some weird language with that. But from what I can attest, they had three last year and they had three this year, which means they didn't improve that number, which means, in my opinion, the 125000 per playoff game incentive for Aaron Rodgers will not get paid out automatically per this stipulation. Now, if I'm in the front office and I know what's happening right now between Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay Packers, I'm going to award those which means the Packers have a buy in week one. I'm going to pay him an extra 125000 cash for the buy week, which would have been part of that incentive. That's always a possibility. And we've seen that plenty of times this time of year. Guy gets one catch away. Guy gets one touchdown away, 10 yards away, something. And the team pays it out. It's not common. I wouldn't say it happens all the time. But every so often, there's a really good reason to do it from a good faith standpoint, from an optics standpoint. And I would have to think that keeping Aaron Rodgers as happy as humanly possible in Green Bay is at the top of that list. So in my opinion, I'm assuming that all of Aaron Rodgers' incentives are going to be paid out um, as they would have been, regardless of this qualifier. The qualifier was simply to keep it off the cap, off of Green Bay's cap for this year. And uh, they can be adjusted accordingly next year as needed. But just a quick little refresher on how that works, because it is confusing you know, especially with these qualifiers, which are which are getting crazier and crazier. Generally speaking, it's at least associated with the player 
But in uh, in Brady's case, it's a rushing stat. And in Rodgers' case, it's a defensive touchdown stat. So uh, things are getting more creative, a little bit more complicated. We're trying to keep up with it as much as possible. Real quick off the top here, a couple of big ones. Xavier Howard, Miami Dolphins restructured his deal. Remember, he held out, didn't want to be there. Uh, he's probably glad he stayed. Part of that restructure to make his money back that he restructured out of was he plays 90% of the snaps for the for Miami this year. He gets $2.5 million. He just hit it. Uh, 92 and change, according to my number statistic-wise. Jordan Hicks, similar conversation in Arizona, restructured. Could make it back with playing time. He's well over the 80% playing time, gets a full $2 million bonus. Tyler Lockett needed eight touchdowns to get to get a $1.2 million bonus. He came into week 18 with six, got two grabs in Seattle and a big win for them. That's a that's a $1.2 million day for him. And like I said, Gronk with $1 million because of the seven catches and the 85 yards plus to his resume. So big paydays for a lot of guys. And, uh, you know, a, a kind of a status quo in terms of the playoff teams. The, the, you know, the order is going to be what it's going to be. The other conversation that I've been having on Twitter, which I'm not going to get into here too much, but worth mentioning on this pod, you had the top two teams, the worst two teams in football win games today. And Houston damn near got there against Tennessee. That's your one, two, three in terms of the draft picks now. Jaguars, Detroit Lions, Houston Texans. Jags had a real chance to lose that spot if Detroit doesn't pull out a win against Green Bay. And it wasn't looking good for a while there. So I give them a lot of credit. You know, there's really no comparison to this because of the shortened schedule for the NFL. But, you know, in, in a world right now where, where a sport like baseball is desperately trying to figure out answers to how to make themselves more competitive, and maybe the answer is shortening their season, by the way. Um, it's just good to see a team like the Jaguars and the Detroit Lions, who truly the only thing that the organization's are looking forward to from a franchise standpoint is that number one pick. Now, and that's not what the players are thinking. There's a lot of players out there trying to make money, trying to get second contracts. So I get it from that level and good for them and good for players like Trevor Lawrence having big days out there, but just good to see in a week that is from a, you know, from a fantasy perspective and, and certainly from a fan perspective can be a letdown, just absolute monster play from the bottom three teams in the league, the Jaguars, the Lions, and the Texans. And I think the Texans may have found their quarterback for 2022, at least in terms of a bridge with Davis Mills. And then we'll see what happens from there. But this is the time to do that, figure those things out. And uh, we'll see what happens from a quarterback perspective. That's next on my list. The last thing I'll say before I get to our guests, we've got a great show today. Uh, I have published all eight NFL offseason pieces, the whole series. We've done it by division, so you can click up your favorite team's division and see all four teams, projected cap space, dead cap situations, draft pick situations, um, extension candidates, potential trades and cuts based on cap situations, uh, franchise tag candidates, which we're going to get to with Joel Corey in just a second here. Just a, a plethora of information that I try to put into more of a profile for each team in terms of the NFL offseason coming up. So... Any questions, any thoughts? If I screwed something up, if you think I'm wrong, if you think I missed something, at SpotTrack on Twitter, I am always looking to refine those and make more out of uh, a version one of what is a, a big series, something I generally don't do with the NFL because I like to kind of go simpler and deep dive into a specific, but I went big on this one. This is the entire league in one series, pretty much uh, from a number standpoint going forward. So please let me know where I can uh, improve that as needed. 
two guests today. It's a double guest show. I'm getting out of the way here. As I mentioned, top of the show, it's Joe Corey, NFL salary cap expert, former NFL agent, just an absolute guru with all of this stuff. I love having him on to kind of pick his brain on a more deep dive level. And uh, we talk franchise tags. He's got some projected franchise tag numbers, some projected candidates for those tags. And we had a little bit of spitball conversation on just uh, some of those players that could come to the forefront in the next couple of weeks. And then I forced him to talk quarterbacks at the back end, of course. Uh, you know, Taysom Hill, Baker Mayfield, the works. And then speaking of Baker, back end of the show, Mary Kay Cabot from the from Cleveland.com and the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Certainly, uh, you know, a polarizing figure in Cleveland right now because she's speaking out as she should be with this team. It's an under underwhelming team, underwhelming performance from the Cleveland Browns, and it starts at the quarterback position. So we go through that Browns offseason to be, which is official now. Who could stick? Who may not stick? Who probably shouldn't stick? What kind of contract extensions are we looking at with uh, players like Denzel Ward? And, uh, of course, what's going to happen at the quarterback position in Cleveland over the next couple of months. Hope you enjoy it. All right. Thrilled to have this guy back on the show. He is a must follow on Twitter, a great read at CBS sports. And, uh, he makes the, the radio spot rounds pretty much on the daily as well. So you probably heard this guy before NFL seller cap expert, Joel Corey, Joel, thanks for coming back. Let's talk some hey, franchise. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet, man. You do a great work this time of year to kind of project some things out in terms of numbers, uh, certainly with the cap stuff, but also with the, uh, the franchise tags, which by the way, this year talk about a rush schedule, right? It's February 13th, Super Bowl. The tags are going to be like an hour later and then, you know, league year in, in about three weeks. So we're not gonna have much time to talk about it then. So we better do it now. What do you think? Oh, that's true. But I do remember a time, um, late nineties, early two thousands, free agency started in the middle of February. Wow. So, so it, there wasn't much lag time between the Super Bowl and when free agency started. Uh, well, but now at least it's pushed back a little bit uh, further. Yeah. The com- a little bit of reprieve. Happened, but... happened before the combine. Wow. I, yeah, that's right. We got to sneak that in there as well. It's certainly a 12-month sport now. There's no question about that. Um, in terms of these tags, we had 10 last year, 13 the year before. Is that a trend? Are we on that path again this year? Because, uh, you know, these numbers that you've got projected and I've done some work on it myself, they just seem like pretty good values for the most part, positionally speaking. I was surprised last year because the cap dropped uh, right. $15.7 million. I thought that would lead to a drastic drop in the number of players tagged, but maybe because the value of the tags dropped as well since they're tied up in a percentage of the cap that that led to that. It, it all depends on the players available. So I, I think it's some positions where the numbers are low. You might see guys tag or was more value. There's one interesting wrinkle I've noticed this year, which doesn't typically exist. The linebacker number is going to be more than the defensive end number. <laughs> Usually see a tag grievance from linebackers who want to be Considered defensive ends. I don't. I still don't understand the distinction between outside linebackers and defensive ends because they're both edge rushers, three-four system. They're outside linebackers, four-three. They're defensive ends. But that's interesting that it's flipped this year for the first time that I can recall. Yeah, I'll go out of order here and just kind of go down that path with you. Are you surprised that the latest CBA didn't address that kind of stuff, especially offensive line, where you know the gap between left tackle and center now is monumental in terms of the contract? Um, I'm not surprised. I've, I've always been in favor of an overhaul of the positions, but 
if you're going to prioritize things in bargaining, is the union really going to take a hard line stand on we need to fix the franchise tags? No, I'm with you. There were plenty of other eggs to roost there for sure. Um, Okay. If you wouldn't mind um, for our listeners out there, just a really kind of surface low level explanation of maybe what has changed and how these are calculated in this iteration versus kind of how they used to be a couple of years back. Well, originally franchise tags were the average of the top five salaries at a position from the prior year. And by salary, that's essentially the cap number. There's some bonuses which get deducted from the calculation. Then in the 2011 CBA, it it made it a more convoluted formula where you calculate the tags like you did originally, but you look back over a five-year period add those sums together, divide them by the salary cap for the previous five years, take that percentage and multiply it by whatever the cap is going to be in the upcoming year. So it's more complicated for the non-exclusive tags. I don't know why they made that change, but in the first year they did make that change. The the numbers dropped tremendously. Um, I think now if the cap's going to keep going up uh, with the infusion of new TV money in future years, it's going to work out better for the players with this new formula. That's right. So, do the the current year salaries, the year we're in, do they they actually impact the upcoming franchise tags? No, correct? no, no, they'll, they'll impact next year. That's right. It looks back, it looks back five years. That's so right. So we're talking. I, yeah. Um, I guess that'd be eighteen, nineteen, twenty, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, and twenty-one. Um, about twenty. It'd go through twenty. It'd go through twenty for for this year. And is the reason for that, Joel, that you can't have restructures and things like that screwing things up? Yeah, I'm not sure why they made that change in the system where it's previous five years. Um, You'd have to ask the union and someone from management council why they changed it from the very clean, simple, let's look back what they were from the uh, previous year only and go from there. Now, for exclusive tags, it still looks forward where it'll be the average of the top five salaries uh, at the end of the restricted free agent signing period in April. In the actual year. Yeah. That hasn't changed. That never has changed. Okay. Let's get into it then, because I think that's a, a smooth transition into Devontae Adams, right? Who could be in, in, in line for that. Is that a player you think is a possible exclusive tag, or do you think they're going to try to get away with, with the $20 million non-exclusive? I think they'll try to get away with the $20 million non-exclusive just because Green Bay has enough cap issues to deal with to even accommodate a franchise tag mm-hmm. with him. Uh, To me, you can't let him walk out the door for potentially just a compensatory third round pick a year later. Um, Even if you weren't going to sign him, you would stick a a tag on him to tag and trade him and get the additional compensation, kind of like Seattle did with Frank Clark a couple of years ago. They weren't going to sign him, but tagged him just to trade him to uh, the Chiefs and went from there. But this guy's been the most productive receiver in football over the past few years. He isn't slowing down. I think his fate is somewhat tied to Aaron Rodgers. Who knows what happens there? Rodgers seems to be saying all the right things about wanting to be a Packer, but we'll see what happens come off season, whether he's looking to stay or looking to get out. Yeah, no question. And it, and it's a wide receiver heavy year. You know, it's it's Adams and then a bunch of really good guys behind him. I, I don't see any quarterback options for the franchise tag. I think you'd agree with that. You know, James. No, they're none. What? None at all. None yeah. at all. You, none worthy of it. So it's a bad free agent year and a bad draft year for quarterbacks. So that's not good for business, but we'll, it's a good trade year for quarterbacks. It's a really good trade year. That's right. Uh, running backs. I, 
I, I wonder what you think here. You know, it's not a daunting number. I think we're projecting about nine, nine and a half on that. Um, you know, it, I guess he's not a real running back, but it's, it's Cordero Patterson in this conversation, at least because of the, the versatility he offers. Uh, he's never made more than 5 million a year. That's right. I don't, I don't know if anybody is going to go out and pay him money, which would approach the tag. If you were going to tag him, you would go transition and just match or not match. Um, I think you can roll the dice on him and not tag him with anything. And then this is the place which has utilized him the best. How do we know a coach someplace else will utilize him the same way? Nobody else has figured it out until now. Yeah, that's right. And good point with the transition tag. Is that just where the running back is headed? That's the very least amount of stability they'll get in terms of these tags? Yeah, if you got like a Derrick Henry or that type, you're going to franchise him. But it would I wouldn't put it past Arizona to stick a transition tag on Connor. either Chase Edmonds yeah. or Connor. They did that with Drake a couple of years ago. They stuck a transition tag on him. So they have both of those backs free just to ensure that one comes back. That, that would not surprise me. Okay. And another point to make here as we talk about some of these wide receivers is there's it's not a slam dunk that the franchise tag number is the number that every player has to has to qualify for. Um, if a player's salary last year is, you know, high enough to the point of where it's 120 percent of that is greater than the franchise tag, you go with the higher of the two. So in some of these instances, we've got to be careful about how we how we calculate these players. Um, one of those players is Mike Williams. LA Chargers, who his option year takes him above the the projected franchise tag. What are your thoughts about him and that Chargers team as a whole, honestly? I he's interesting from the standpoint that do you want to put a 18.816 million dollar tag on him? But at the same time, you got kind of you're gonna have like 60 million in cap room, so you could afford it. Mm-hmm. He's had a career year. You don't really want to take a weapon away from your young superstar in the making quarterback, Justin Herbert. So I'm on the fence on whether they do that with him or not. Um, one guy who won't get a tag with 120% provisions, the second tag will be Allen Robinson, because that's going to be 21-5. Yeah. <laughs> and based on his lack of rapport with Justin Fields, why would you ever do that? I don't think Allen Robinson all of a sudden forgot to play football or his skills are diminished. I think it's a combination of injury, COVID, and Justin and Justin Fields just doesn't have any chemistry with him. Yeah, that's a change of scenery situation for sure. What about Chris Godwin though? I, I, I'm a big fan of how you advocate the fact that injuries aren't death sentences anymore. And you know, I'd say the same thing about Michael Gallup. I'm sure you'd agree he's going to be okay. Uh, in terms of contractual uh, obligations over the next year or so. But is there a second tag in Godwin's case, or is that just too much for the Buccaneers to swallow? I don't think – I think before injury, it was going to be interesting, the decision between Carlton Davis and Godwin. I think the uh, injury eliminates that. But I don't think the injury is going to impact him that much. If it, I think, if anything, it affects him more structurally than it does from an overall dollar standpoint. And we saw that Cooper Cup, the year they went to the Super Bowl in mid to late November, tore his ACL. Then the next year came back, had over 90 catches, 1,100 yards. Um, so you would be paying him not for 
what he does in 2022, but for 2023, 2024, 2025, Wes Welker came back from an ACL tear at the end of the regular season, didn't miss a regular season game, um, I think in 07, 08, I forget exactly what year. But he's, he had a little statistical drop, but then the second year, he was back to being the 120-catch Wes Welker. So yeah. we're talking major – the advancements in medical technology with knee injuries, that's not the concern that it used to be. That's right. And Cup's a good situation because, you know, he's sitting on 15.75 in terms of an AAV. I, that's absurd for a guy who's about to rate the receiving record right yeah. now. Yeah, well, he, he'd never done that before this year. That's right. He and Robert Woods were pretty uh, comparable statistically. Even before Woods got hurt, it was the Cooper Cup show. He's clearly Matthew Stafford's favorite receiver, but... <laughs> Yeah, Cooper Cup now looks like to be a very good bargain based on what he's done this year. So that's exactly where I was going with that is is there is, you know, it's not just Cup for the most part. It is a little bit now this year, but there is two or there's honestly there's four weapons there now when Woods is healthy and uh and OBG OBJ in the fold now. That's how the Buccaneers have been operating as well. And now that Antonio Brown is officially out of that market, it, do you have to can you go big time with Godwin to stay in Tampa Bay, knowing that Mike Evans has two years left and it's pretty high cash flow? Or are you are you going to ask him to take a WR2 discount to stay on that team with Tom Brady? Well, everybody uh, come back to keep the band together and they weren't all looking to cash in. Right. So part of the problem I've always thought is Mike Evans, Godwin, that that's a deal which is now a couple of years old. Godwin's going to think you got to pay me more than this outdated deal. Then Evans is going to be, Hey, <laughs> he's making more than me. If it's dramatically more, you got an issue there. Um, I know Tom Brady and OBJ like each other. Mm. Maybe that's the replacement. That's a hot you don't take. have that same issue. And he'd probably go, <laughs> that'd be a one-year deal. Yeah. Cause he's resurrected himself with the Rams so far. Cause all of a sudden, he can he gets in the end zone, something he didn't do in Cleveland yeah. very much during his two-and-a-half-year tenure or whatever it was there. But I wouldn't put it past me to see OBJ as a Buccaneer next year, particularly if Godwin is looking for a cash grab. One guy that I think um, probably not tag-worthy, and if it was, it'd be transition tag, Leonard Fournette. He came back for a discount. He said he took less money to come back. If they don't win another Super Bowl, which – I'm not putting them – I don't think he's optimistic given all the injuries. He's now a great pass-catching threat, which no one ever thought or viewed him as before. When he got hurt, he was leading all running backs in reception. And that's a guy that you got – if he's out in the open market, I'm thinking he should be able to get a Melvin Gordon $16 million over two-year deal. Would Tampa be willing to pay that? So he might be someone who breaks up that whole we're going to come back and try to – keep the train going because he's never had a huge payday. That's exactly the the number I have for Leonard Fournette, Melvin Gordon's contract. So I think you're dead on. What is that transition tag uh, projecting to you? Do you have it? Is it about seven and a half or so? Um, it's a little over eight. It's a little over eight. Okay. All right. I still think that's fair money for a guy like that. Who, who you're right is now proven to be versatile. Um, but you only tag one player. And yep. if you got like a Carlton Davis, he's been hurt this year, but he has all the physical tools you want. In a corner, size, speed, can play man to man. 
you don't really let that guy out the door. <laughs> no, and you've got quite a few projected safeties here. I, I've been thinking much of the same, maybe a few extras. You know, Davis is on this list. Jesse Bates is on this list that you have at CBS Sports. Certainly Marcus Williams. And from a corner standpoint, J.C. Jackson, who, uh, you know, hit the safety in New England, Adrian Phillips already locked up his multi-year contract. I have to think the majority of those players are going to get tagged as at least a placeholder situation, right? Right. I don't, Bates, I don't think, is going anywhere. He hasn't had the year that he had last year, and he kind of let his contract status get in his head early on. But they're, they've won the AFC C North. Typically, if there's someone that they want to keep, they've done a good job making sure core players don't leave. They'll, I'd be surprised if they don't stick a tag on him. J.C. Jackson is the really interesting one to me. Now, if New England's treating negotiations like that Adrian Phillips deal, because I thought that came in kind of light. Yeah, very. And they'll have to go tag on him. They don't have the same cap room as last year. If you stick the tag on him and I'm representing him, I'm going, okay, one tag, let's do that another for two tags. That automatically gets me thinking at least $19 million per year. If you don't tag me, I'm doing cartwheels because getting in the open market, that guy, I know he's an undrafted free agent. That doesn't matter based on his productivity. If Byron Jones can get 16 and a half on the open market, and who would you rather have, J.C. Jackson or Byron Jones? What's, what's uh, J.C. Jackson going to get if he gets to the open market and is willing to leave? Yeah, being the best available at your position in the open market is a is a good place to be. So I have a feeling that the tag is coming just to stop that from happening. Yeah, plus they you knew Gilmore was didn't have a long term future there. They've traded him. Right. Jackson's answered every question about whether he can step up and be the number one corner. That's not a concern anymore. That's someone that if he's out there on the open market, he's willing to leave. He's going to do very well. Well, that is a position that Belichick has paid before, and that that's not a big list. You know, he has not paid his offensive linemen. He has not paid his edge rushers. He has paid a cornerback, top of the market money. So uh, it's probably a good spot to be in for J.C. Jackson either way, no matter how you slice it. How about and then one other thing yeah, to think ahead. about in that negotiation is if they're treating him like Phillips in the negotiation, I don't know, and I don't know how the dynamics have gone. But I just know from my agent days that if an insider feels slighted who's done something for the team, that whole you went out and paid outsiders, top of the market money comes into play. And they paid two tight ends who I don't think they've gotten great value from either one, more so from Hunter Henry than Johnny Smith. But if I'm representing him and you're coming at me with what I think are below market offers and you're not moving very much, I'm like, you went out and paid two guys who haven't been very productive throughout <laughs> their careers and you're you're going to hold the line on me? That I would have an issue with that. Yeah. I don't know if that's what happening, it was happening. If it is, yeah, that could be a dynamic to keep an eye on. Yeah, that Adrian Phillips number came in at about half of where I had him projected. So I was extremely shocked with that. I think the guarantees are low as well. So, uh, yeah, that's just typical Patriot stuff, though. I'm not going to gawk at that too much. How about the Saints? Yeah, but they uncharacteristically went on a spending spree in yeah. free agency last year. <laughs> yeah, and the Janu situation is ugly. That's not even tradable, in my opinion. Marcus Williams in that Saints situation, it's not as bad as last year, so we have to start there. You know, I'm not going to crush them because of the constant restructuring situation. And, you know, we'll get to taste them in a couple of minutes here, but 
Can they can they afford Marcus Williams after doing what they did with Lattimore and what they're going to have to do with Armstead if they want to keep their left tackle until there's just a lot of mouths to feed here? Yeah, well, after they created $110 million of cap space and enough to then more to franchise Williams, I don't put it past them to create enough room to tag him. Then it becomes a cash issue in terms of paying Williams. The best thing he did was not do a deal mm-hmm. because you had two other deals enter the marketplace. Uh, Jamal Adams at $17.5 million per year and an older Harrison Smith at $16 million per year. So if you think you're going to get Marcus Williams for less than Justin Simmons, you're probably – it's probably wishful thinking. Um, he's definitely not let that – Minnesota miracle define him. I know that's what some people first thing you say his name, people think of that, but he is a very good safety with excellent range. I agree. I think he's, he's in the, in the running for sure. One more, and then we'll move on to some of this team stuff. Well, let let me ask you this question. Are there players uh, that you're projecting here that you believe will play on the tag? To me, the slam dunk for me is Mike Gusecki. Yeah, that is, that is. Yeah. Cause they've got a ton of cap room and that number's reasonable. Uh, he's someone. He's someone that it just makes sense for him to play on the tag, because to me, the way the, the those two guys in New England dramatically changed the tight end market. Yeah. So anyone who is halfway decent is going to look to surpass twelve and a half million per year. So yeah, you know they're probably that negotiation's probably he's thinking more like Dallas Dallas Goddard's fourteen million. And if they're coming in under Smith and Henry, you just stick the tag on them because um, it's it's slightly under 11. And then the tight end that would benefit from him being tagged, because I don't think Dallas is tagging anybody, would be Dalton Schultz. Yeah. Yeah, and Dalton Schultz is is at that Hunter Henry mark for me. I mean, that's the kind of production he's had over the two years. They can move I mean, on. Here's the crazy thing. Yeah. Both of these guys that if you take uh, what Dalton Schultz has done this year by himself and you combine the production of Smith <laughs> and Henry, it's very comparable <laughs> from a yards and and catches standpoint. Yeah. And Dallas can basically just move on from Blake Jarwin's contract, which was a complete bust to pay Dalton Schultz. So I think it's a no brainer that they lock him in long term um, a couple years. Hey, well, he can think he can think. Jarwin for tearing his ACL because he was slated just to be the blocking tight end. Uh, Jarwin gets certain the season opener in 2020. Uh, they had a competition in training camp that Schultz took the job hmm. and hasn't looked back. <laughs> yeah. How about Orlando Brown? Are, are the chiefs in a position where they're ready to go 24 million a year for an offensive lineman with everything else they have going on, financially speaking? That's one where I don't think they have a choice but to franchise him because you don't, anytime you give up significant draft capital, you don't want to make a guy potentially a one year rental by letting him hit the open market. I don't understand why teams don't get the deal done at the same time of the trade or close, close to it right after, because in every instance for these players, it's cost teams more money in the long run. So yeah, he's proven he can play left tackle. So, yeah, they're going to have to go in that neighborhood, whether they like it or not. The other the elephant in the room is um, Tyron Matthew. You can't franchise him. You only pick one. Even if you wanted to franchise him, the number 
is $23.63 million because of the 120% increase provision. He's not thinking that, I would imagine he's thinking, hey, uh, Harrison Smith's older, three years older than I am. Yeah. <laughs> look what they look what um, Minnesota did for him. So if you want me to take a discount, I might be discounting myself someplace else. <laughs> yeah, and Matthew's been doing Jamal Adams stuff for three, four, five years now. So I have a feeling there's not going to be a discount this time around by any means. So I, I do think that's an interesting watch for this free agent class, no question. All right, I'm obliged to switch to quarterbacks now and uh, and give the people what they want. I, I mentioned Taysom Hill. What kind of clarity do you have? Oh, on don't this? get me started. On I that. have to. I have to. <laughs> I, I'm confused, and and you know, I I do this for a living now. Are they just trolling us with these contracts, or or do you think that the the new one that's structured and the way it's structured for the what if with the quarterback plan is just good business? It could be complete value. It could be you know smart in the long run. Or is it literally just, we don't really know what's going on, so let's just do something like this just in case? I call it unnecessary. I call the extension when they stuck the restricted free agent tender on them unnecessary as well because they could have just let them play it on the tender and then signed them for a lot cheaper than paying him $21 million over two years. And then this extension doesn't make any sense. He lost the job to Jameis Winston, has not played well since they decided to bench Trevor Simeon. And if he's not a quarterback, a starting quarterback, you don't see backup quarterbacks making $10 million per year. That's bridge quarterback money. That's Andy Dalton. That's Ryan Fitzpatrick. And for a utility jack-of-all-trades guy, that's – an exorbitant amount of money if he's not a quarterback. (laughs) Only way this works out for the Saints is if he's the starting quarterback and is in a position to hit all the incentives. And if he's in a position to hit all the incentives, he's basically playing like Josh Allen. And I don't think anyone's ever going to see that happen. Right. And the question I've had over the past three years, as you've just laid out there, is who are they bidding against? Like, Who is calling and trying to acquire this guy? (laughs) I don't think they'd have a lot of competition in the open market. Uh, and then who's going to know how to utilize them properly in that same role. So I don't, I don't understand it. Okay. I don't understand that one. Well, I was hoping for some clarity. I, I understand we didn't get any, uh, here's the last question. I'll get you out of here on this, Joel. Um, it seems to me that the NFL is in a position right now where they're afraid of a non elite quarterback contract. And, I think we have a pretty good, I think Ryan Tannehill's contract is actually completely reasonable and it was reasonable from where he came from, which was a bit of a first round bust to uh, a guy who kind of was resurrected in a different situation, which that's, that's logical. It's going to happen. Maybe you're just in a bad scenario in Miami, which he was it's 27 and change. Maybe there's an extra year of guarantee as a trade-off for that lower AAV. It seems like teams are unwilling to do this. It's either, our guy's got to be elite and we're happy to pay 40 million or we're ripping the bandaid off and going back into the draft because that rookie wage pool is just really good. And that's the way we need to operate. Am I overthinking this or is this where you see the league going? Now you really don't see that mid tier starting quarterback number. It's either you pay the going rate or you're doing the one year bridge thing. You don't really see a lot of guys who are in that, middle tier from a veteran standpoint it's either haves or have nots or you're gonna you're gonna go out and get 
a, a rookie and hopefully you hit on the rookie and you've managed the cap to the point where you can try to amass a lot of talent around him when he's cheapest, which is what the chargers are in a position to do. I get it. But uh, I mean, is it impossible that Derek Carr can't win a Super Bowl? Right. Uh, I mean, it, these mid-tier contracts just seem like better business to me. And, you know, I, I understand when, when, he's not when, Russell Wilson, but, you know. From when Carr signed the contract, when he did, he was the highest paid player in the league. He's the first $25 million per year guy. That's right. It's it's changed dramatically uh, since then. If you're going to do an extension with Derek, Derek Carr this year, you're probably going to the $40 million range. You had 80% increase at the Mahomes, $45 million. I know that's an extremely long deal. Yeah. But I don't think Derek Carr is in the, hey, I'm happy at the $25 million range and I'll re-up there. You're probably going to have to go in that upper stratosphere. Because Russell Wilson may, if he wants out, which that seems to be where everyone thinks he's headed, would you do the extension with the trade? He's going to want in that neighborhood as well. Stafford's heading into his contract year. I know he's had his moments where <laughs> you're probably thinking, Jake Goff could do that. But the arm talent is there, and if he takes him on a deep run, they're going to have to pay him an arm and a leg as well. Yep. And then whoever wherever Aaron Rodgers plays, he's now in a contract year in 2022 – the extension, the new money could average $50 million per year for him. That's where I'm projecting him. Three for 150, right on the dot there. Um, and Russell's right there with Mahomes for me. So I, you're right. I mean, we're only going forward with many of these elite players. but And a rising tide lifts all boats. So <laughs> you're that, right. <laughs> so that means that as they push the market forward, the, the Tanny Hills of the world, their market goes up too. <laughs> so, so then – Let's just take Baker because it's it's a terrible example, but it's the right example right now. Baker Mayfield's situation is the best that Baker can do is follow Kirk Cousins' path, just get himself into a franchise tag situation that eventually leads to free agency. I mean, is that what the non-elite middle-of-the-road quarterback is going to be until that team just says, we're done with you? That might be the way to go because with Cousins, it, it kind of happened by accident that they offended Cousins and Mike uh, Mike McCartney that first year by lowballing him, the, that set the bad tone where he's basically like, you know what, I'll play it out. From what I understand, they didn't even entertain making an offer the second year. They're like, you know what, thanks for the offer. We'll play it out. And Cousins is good, not great. And you see what happened with him if he hits the open market. The flip side of that is, if Baker Mayfield is more like he is this year when healthy as opposed to the second half of last year, he's never getting paid. Never. No, I get it. Uh, it's, it's a very fine line. It's a sensitive situation. And that rookie scale is just way too good value. You know, it's just, it's just too good not to utilize. So I think well, it's imagine gonna, the other way. Yeah. The, the, if you still had everything extrapolate from Sam Bradford, then you have the, you'd have, probably 30 million plus a year quarterbacks at the top of the draft. Yeah, you, you're right. I mean, Stafford's going to be the poster boy for that. He's going to have the best of both worlds here. He might have a $45 million contract now. It started with a ridiculous rookie contract. So we'll see. Yeah, because he, he, was, he was a year before Bradford. So he was one of the last guys to get paid like yeah. a Pro Bowl coming in. And then he, he's actually an interesting one because he had that kind of law in his career. And they did a bridge deal 
that first deal in Detroit was a three-year extension. They He got the deal at 27, making the highest-paid player one year left. But you haven't seen anyone do a bridge deal where, like, I try to get some security for two, three years, don't lock my future up too much. So if I actually do play to my potential or my draft position, I'm in a position to reap the reward. But if I can't, I've made some money. That that I thought might have been an idea for Baker before this year. But if I'm the Browns, there's no way I would pay him right now. You have to go out and prove it. And if it costs us more to franchise you, and we and if, and if we are in a position where you're worthy of a franchise tag, that means everything worked out well. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. I think that's probably the best business approach for a lot of situations like Baker's versus you know, we're just going to have nothing, which is what Pittsburgh's dealing with right now. I'm not sure how that's going to play out. Appreciate your yeah, time. Yeah, one last note on this. The one situation I wanted to see is Dak Prescott play out the second franchise tag. I know since the calf injury against mm. New England, he hasn't necessarily looked like he did before. But even with some of his struggles this year, if you had Dak Prescott um, hit the open market, this year, someone was going to pay him a lot of money, more than more than the contract he actually signed. Look, you're preaching to the choir on these last two statements. I, I, I think the small contract situation, especially with the quarterback who now has more power than maybe any position in sports, is exactly the way to go. You know, make it fully guaranteed or 90% guaranteed with with you know per game actives built in or something, and then get yourself either available or close to available. When even the smell of availability it's going to make everything better for you. And that's, you know, that's the NBA process as I know you've, you've uh, done some work on as well. So uh, to me, that's where this thing has to go. Uh, you know, less Mahomes contracts, more short, sweet, and uh, to the point like cousins. Well, no one else has been wanting to do what cousins did. Yeah. He was, he, he embraced the franchise tag. He was a fourth round pick. I'm like, Hey, I do this for two years. Third tag is going to be too costly. <laughs> and he's good. Not great. And look what he did in the open market. Then only did a three-year deal. So he put Minnesota in a position where he had him over a barrel from the time he signed the contract and still has him over a barrel. No question about it. It's going to be a rough offseason for that situation. Hey, you're the best. I appreciate your time on this. Uh, sure. Anytime. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right. It's officially the offseason for the Cleveland Browns, unfortunately. And... Uh, <laughs> That means it's time for Mary Kay Cabot from Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer in Cleveland. It's not boring right now for you, Mary Kay. Welcome back to the show. Um, you're at the forefront of the conversation with the Browns and specifically with Baker Mayfield for, uh, I don't know, some completely unfriendly fire in my opinion. But welcome back to the show. And what's going on in Cleveland? Well, as you mentioned, you know, there was a little bit of friendly fire yesterday. So sure, we could go ahead uh, and address that. I wrote a column basically saying that uh, that there is a little bit of a disconnect. I've been writing that for weeks, that there's a disconnect between Baker Mayfield and Kevin Stefanski. Baker hasn't always necessarily felt that Kevin Stefanski was putting him in the best position uh, to win games. And that hasn't he hasn't always been enamored with the play calling and um, and he's been, you know, somewhat disillusioned with the way things have gone. And this comes from, uh, you know, just weeks and weeks and weeks of talking to sources and people uh, connected with the situation. So I wrote the column saying that in order for these two guys to have a chance to coexist, uh, Baker has to resolve his differences with Kevin Stefanski. I went so far as to say that if there are no assurances that anything's going to change 
then Baker's camp. And he's got a very extensive camp in the same way uh, that Odell Beckham Jr. did. These guys have an entourage about, you know, around them. Mm-hmm. Um, but that camp, they'll, they'll put their heads together just the way that they did about him not playing in this last game and going and having his surgery and shutting it down. Though that was a group decision uh, involving people, you know, in his entourage. Um, but they, you know, that very strong and, and powerful supporting cast of Baker Mayfields, they will put their heads together and, and help him determine if this is the right situation for him going forward in the event the Browns actually want him to be their starting quarterback next year. If they do, then his camp will decide if this is the right situation for him next year or even beyond next year. And if next year seems inequitable for any reason, including offensive scheme, supporting cast, play calling, and those sorts of things, then they will, and I said, consider, <laughs> consider asking uh, to move him. And that that's not outlandish. I mean, he does not have an offer. He does not have a long-term extension offer at this point. Uh, so it's not crazy to think that, um, you know, perhaps they would, think that you know moving on sooner than later might not be the worst idea in the world and again i said consider it i didn't say he will but sometimes when things get aggregated they take on a life of their own and that's when people get more mad when the story gets aggravated and a piece of it is taken out of context and thrown out there which which was what happened in this case um you know they people don't half the time even read the column or the story. I mean, it's a very, uh, you know, it's, it's well thought out. I was kidding yesterday on my podcast, beautifully written. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, basically just saying that Baker needs to, uh, you know, really lay all his cards out on the table with his head coach and they need to figure out a path forward if that's the plan for both sides. It's really interesting because... I think you're giving too much diligence to Baker's side of this, in my opinion. I mean, Baker doesn't have a choice anymore, right? Yes, he took him to the postseason last year for the first time in, what, 18, 19 years. I get it. You know, I'm I'm Buffalo-based. I know how that feels and how that works. And by the way, when Tyrod Taylor did it, we traded him to Cleveland the next year. So, <laughs> so it's there's no stability. That's not how this works. And right. he, he regressed. Injuries were, were a part of this. He regressed. And, you know, he's not all the way down to where Sam Darnold was, in my opinion. But that's the conversation now. That's where we are is, is this fifth year option going to be tradable? Or is it going to be we're going to take it on and see what we can do otherwise around Baker Mayfield? It's, to me, it's not his position to have the opportunity. It's do the Browns still want this? And uh, because there's going to be veteran options, there's going to be a few, you know, simpler options like a Bridgewater if they want to go that route or a Garoppolo. There's just going to be four or five situations they can do to change this situation in, in Cleveland if they want it. And that's why I'm starting with Cleveland with this offseason series. I think it's the most fascinating, and I think it's, it's, it's a trigger point for a lot of other teams. You know, If Cleveland comes out right now in the next couple of weeks and says, we're, we're going to consider our options, the Russell Wilson stuff is going to be intolerable for you. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be intolerable. It might, it might already be intolerable for you. Um, so I want to piggyback off of that with this question. Because, uh, you know, I, again, I'm Buffalo-based. Coming into this season, and I'm sure you were with me, Cleveland and Buffalo were at the forefront of this AFC in terms of projections. They were kind of neck and neck. And that's not how it's certainly finished off. How close is this team? 
You know, I think they're closer than it might seem right now for anybody that watched the last two nationally televised (laughs) football games. And the question is, is it as simple as switching out the quarterback and off you go into the playoffs next year? It's not that simple. It's not that simple because if you look at this offense, there are other deep seated issues with it. Now, First, you need your all-pro right tackle in Jack Conklin to come back, okay? He has a torn patella tendon. He has had other injury issues this season. So they need to, you know, they need to figure out, is he going to be the healthy all-pro right tackle that they need him to be? Because if not, then they have to start looking uh, at the right tackle spot. At the left tackle spot, they need to determine if their left tackle in uh, Jed Wills is going to... Uh, come back up the learning curve the way that he was uh, doing as a rookie and get back to playing some really, really good football because it's been a challenging year for him at left tackle. If you look at the pro football focus rankings, he's, I think, somewhere around 63rd right now amongst NFL offensive tackles. And those tackles don't always, I mean, those rankings don't always tell the whole story and the Browns probably don't necessarily always agree with them. But the fact remains, if he's even below 30 that's not good enough right. uh, so they have to figure out what's going on there uh, I think almost more so than than anybody in this market and somebody tr- you know some someone with a whole bunch of Twitter followers actually tweeted this out today that you know that I've uh, been very favorable to Baker on a lot of these issues because I have even in the column that we're talking about pointed out all of the things he has had to deal with this season. And there have been many, I mean, once Odell Beckham jr. Left, they did not have a deep threat on this football team. You can't stretch the defense without a deep threat. You just can't. They tried to make Donovan people's Jones into their ex receiver. And that's not who he is. So, um, so yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, there have been extenuating circumstances, Baker Mayfield's injuries, injuries around him, Uh, And the way things went, Kevin Stefanski had to call plays a certain way for, um, you know, for this offense and for Baker Mayfield and probably not in a way that that Baker loved. But sometimes you have to keep in three tight ends so you can keep the guy upright with no tackles. I mean, they just had to do things in a certain way because of all of the injuries on this offense. I, I agree with that. And that's a good transition into my next question, which is, is there an identity on that offense or is the, has the identity been changed slash forced because of injuries or Baker's or who Baker is Baker's ceiling. It, to me, it feels a little bit new Englandy almost to the point of where you're right. It, it is a tight end offense with bad tight ends, by the way. And, a running offense, a rushing offense, which I'm not sure they did enough of maybe because of injury again this year. Um, is that the identity Stefanski wants? And is that the disconnect you're talking about? Does Baker want to be a pocket passer who's up there with the Burroughs and the Herberts of the world? And that's simply not what Cleveland can be or Cleveland thinks Baker Mayfield can be. Well, I think what Baker Mayfield did last year so well was they rolled him out, a play action, yeah. roll him out, hit, hit the man, you know, hit your one-on-one matchup. And that he thrived off of that. That was their MO. Well, if a defense takes that away, then you have to adjust to that. And I think that was a big part of this season is uh, they had to figure out what to do when teams hemmed him into the pocket and tried to make him throw from the pocket. And it was a challenge. It was a challenge because he had a heel injury for a while. He had a knee injury. His, you know, he's playing with his harness on and his passes weren't accurate. By the time they got to the Steelers game, and of course there were many offensive line issues by that point, by the time they got to that game, you know, the Steelers were just, you know, waiting for him to throw the ball and putting their hands up and batting down his passes, five batted passes in that game. 
So these are issues that are going to have to be worked out. How do you successfully use Baker Mayfield if he's not going to be on those keepers? Uh, and I think that was one part of the problem. And there were others, but um, but they have to figure out if he can be successful and what they can do to put him in the best chances to succeed. And I think that's important. It is important. Um, you know, none of the pass catchers thrived in this offense this year. Uh, it, it was it was just kind of a mess for for so many different reasons. It was a mess. Having Kareem Hunt out of the lineup most of the season, yeah. that hurt that hurt a lot. Yeah, I mean, that's he, the safety valve he needed. Yeah, he can do so many things. He can do so many things, and he missed most of the season. So these are things they're going to have to figure out going forward. Even the running backs, uh, you know, that you know, you think they're so strong at the running back position, and they are. But if you try to completely run it back like that, and these guys run into more injury problems next year, then you're going to be in the same boat that you were in this year. And running backs do start to get to the point in their career where they start to get a little bit banged up. We all know that. Yeah. So I think they have to overhaul the receiving core. They need to they need to draft a receiver high, a really good receiver high. They need to add a really good veteran receiver. Uh, and then, they, you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones can be a, a quality three, I think. Uh, you know, move him up to X and then, you're, you know, then you are diminishing his value. But if if he if you put him in his position of strength at the three, uh, then I think he can succeed. You have to decide what you want to do with Jarvis Lander. Is Jarvis coming back at $16.55 million? Not a, you know, that's not an exorbitant amount for a great receiver, but he did not have a good year. Is he, will he have a better year if Baker's better next year? So they have a lot of things to figure out. And the truth is nobody is going to be able to know the answers to these questions until they put it out on the field next year. And it could be too late by then to, uh, to fix it. Yeah, that's probably right. And and by the way, uh, you're having this discussion. You're you're kind of breaking down Baker Mayfield's deficiencies and the offense deficiencies. It sounds it sounds a heck of a lot like Seattle and Russell Wilson. And Russell Wilson is a rollout quarterback. Russell Wilson does look for those disadvantages. And what he didn't do this year is scramble. He didn't scramble out of those positions, which Baker isn't built to do. I, I just I, I see so many similarities with the fact that Hunt was missing, Chris Carson was missing. I, it's just kind of boggling me how, how that there's a lot of similarities between those two offices right now. Do you think I, I want to get to some of the, the players you mentioned because there are contra- contractual question marks with them. Is Kevin Stefanski's situation a question mark right now? No, no. You think that his no. offense and, and, and his mindset can get this thing done? Well, I don't know if, if it's going to be the exact same uh, offense that we saw this year, because like I said, some of it was out of necessity. So I can't honestly say that, yeah, you're going to see the exact same, you know, you know, 13 personnel scheme that we saw a lot this year. I mean, I think he wants to be multiple. He, we know that he wants to be multiple. He has told us that, but he couldn't be multiple this year uh, for all the reasons that, that we've talked about. So he's safe, but sure, they've got to break down the whole entire offensive scheme and either devise one that can help their quarterback look better than he did this year uh, or bring in somebody new and try a different scheme. Uh, Somehow uh, they have to fix it. I think you're right in your approach of saying it's about the weapons. And I actually believe they'll probably start all the way over. I think Jarvis Landry probably falls off this roster with that contract. And maybe he comes back cheap. Um, He's over that 30 threshold now. So 
no way that cap hit stays for me, but uh, whether or not he wants to be on this roster in a diminished role is another story. I think you're right. There's good veteran options in, in free agency and via the trade right now, and it's a really good draft class again. So you're right. They start there. There's probably an offensive lineman in there. What do they do on that defensive line, which should be better than it is right now? Do you bring back a clowny? Uh, are, are you happy with your linebacking core? Is that a situation? That's a top five defense, analytically speaking. Do you think they just run that back, or are there changes to be made there as well? They're going to have to make some changes. They have to figure out if Jadavian Clowney is coming back. And, you know, can he get more on the open market? He had seven sacks this year so far. He's had a really, really nice season. So, you know, he might get some attention and either he'll want to come back here or, you know, he talks a lot about, you know, like liking warmer weather and things like that. So I think that, uh, you know, they have to figure that one out, but they certainly want him back. Tack McKinley, he ruptured an Achilles. He was having a nice season. He kind of found a home here. They believed in him, and uh, he he was really playing some really good football. Uh, but with this Achilles, you know, he might not be back at full strength until October. I, he's turning into, uh, you know, a little bit of a, an injury problem, and it's unfortunate because I think he's a really good player. And if he gets healthy, I think he will be back on their radar, but I don't think they can go into the season counting on him being their number three defensive end. So they have to go out and find a number three defensive end. They probably have to find a, at least another tackle. Um, I think they still believe in Malik McDowell. I think Tommy Togiai uh, will have a, a bigger role next season and they still have Jordan Elliott. So I think they're okay on the defensive line Uh, linebacking core. Uh, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa up and coming, and then they feel they can fill in the other pieces and parts with uh, guys that they have now. And if they have to add another linebacker to their, you know, that's that's not a huge premium position for them after, you know, now that they have JOK. And then they're really, really in good shape in the secondary. They're in great shape in the secondary when, when all those guys are healthy. They can maybe add a piece or two. But defensively, this is a top 10 defense. It's legit. And if they had made it to the playoffs, I think there are a lot of offenses that would not have wanted to face this Cleveland Browns defense. It's the top seven paid secondary right now, Mary Kay. And Denzel Ward needs $20 million a year. Is that just do it and keep going? Yep. Okay. Yep. Without, <laughs> without hesitation, that will happen. Yeah, they're going to be top three when that happens, in my opinion. And, you know, that's... Look, it's a good position to pay at this point. Obviously, we're a passing league. That's where you want to have your, uh, you know, at least a good core, a good long-term core. But you can get to a point where that gets too expensive, especially if it hurts your pass rush. So, I, you know, I, I came into this conversation thinking they were in pretty good shape and maybe it was just dropping a new quarterback and a wide receiver and go. But you're you're finding four or five other holes to fill here and that gets expensive. So $35 million in cap space to work with, that's going to dwindle pretty quickly in your opinion, right? Yes. And that's why they're going to have to do some creative financing in other ways. Yeah. And uh, even, you know, quarterback could possibly be part of that. If they tried to, if they decided they're upgrading at quarterback and wanted, wanted someone else or trade for someone else and then have to do a renegotiated contract, you know, then you're going to have to try to trade Baker Mayfield and you might have to do some kind of a, you know, situation where somebody, where you eat some of that money, um, the 18.8. So, um, you know, that there are some other guys. Again, we talked about Jarvis Landry. I mean, if, I think if they could find a a really good number two receiver in free agency and pay some of that money to, then they might think about uh, doing something with him. If not, then maybe they talk about a restructured deal with him. And sure. does he want does he want to stick around? I mean, does he feel like does he like where this is going on offense? I don't know. We haven't heard from Jarvis Landry. We're hoping to hear from him. Uh, in the uh, season wrap up, but we haven't heard from him in a team capacity since Odell Beckham Jr. 
uh, departed the football team. So it's hard to know what he's thinking right now. Any last thoughts about this team? Is this a fun team to watch? No, not right now. Yeah. I mean, it, you, you know what? I'll tell you. Last year, it was a fun football team to watch offensively. They were creative. Jarvis Landry was throwing touchdown passes to Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, you know, Baker Mayfield, you know, kind of came alive in the second half before defenses figured out how to play him. All he had to do was roll out, have all the space around him in the world. And then he was really accurate with with hitting uh, the one on one matchup. And his guys were winning a lot of those battles um they're not winning them i I don't know if the ball's getting there just a little bit late it just it does seem like it's not operating quickly enough and defenders are getting there and able to to break up the pass it's not there's something something's wrong with the efficiency of of the passing game obviously and um so it hasn't been a fun team to watch by any stretch of the imagination including the fact that in 10 of the last 13 games the offense has scored 17 points or fewer Mm. How fun is that? That's not fun. <laughs> All right. I'll get you out of here on this. I'm going to put you on the spot. Who's the week one 2022 starting quarterback for the Cleveland Browns, Mary Kay? Oh, that's so hard to say. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's really hard to say. And I honestly don't know. But if you're going to put me on the spot, I'm going to say uh, Baker Mayfield, who's undergoing surgery on January 19th to repair a torn labrum. Uh, I'm going to say that they will bring him back for the fifth year option. Give him another chance to see what he can do in this offense with an upgraded receiving core and um, and see if he might still be able to be your quarterback in the future. I actually think it's probably the right move. That's that's the, that's the answer I've been giving on my radio spots right now is that, you know, I don't think the nails in the coffin yet at all. Um, it's probably more difficult to let him go right now and really try to fill, fill, you know, seven or eight holes versus, you know, leave the quarterback and just upgrade the weaponry as you're talking about here. I think that's probably the right approach. Um, you're going to hear a lot of noise about Case Keenum, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I think it, what you're saying, it, it probably is the right approach unless, yeah. okay. Unless they can find a way to upgrade the quarterback position that makes sense for this organization. It's like when yeah. you're going out and you're looking for houses and all of a sudden, uh, this amazing house comes along that you had no intentions of buying and you can get it at the right price and and you pull the trigger on it. So if something like that happens and they can get a, a quarterback that they really like and somehow make this work, then I think they would do it. Fair enough. Appreciate your time as always. Thanks so much. Sure. Thank you. All right. My thanks to Mary Kay Cabot. You can follow her on Twitter or at the Cleveland.com or Cleveland Plain Dealer websites or Twitter accounts. Of course, she's pounding out work constantly in those uh, organizations. And of course, the Joel Corey. He's at Corey Joel on Twitter. He's a great NFL follow, a great NFL finance follow. He'll be pumping out projections alongside us pretty much neck and neck throughout the next couple of months as we get to the offseason towards the draft and then back into roster construction mode. He's an excellent follow. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track. Get yourself 40% off that first year for 2022. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.